Welcome to Box Out Banter. I'm Chris Okamura. Joining me as always, Mr. Giggles and Smiles himself, Mr. Jordan Christmas. How's it going, Jordan? Ah, <laughs> uh, you're damn right. I'm giggling and smiling. It's been two games of the Harden and Embiid era, and yes, we're just gonna jump right into it. Yeah, that's what I want to talk you, about. So I told Jordan that I'm just gonna let him go off here. So bear with us here, Jordan. I'm ready go ahead. to say some very reckless things about the Sixers that I'm not willing to say yet unless, uh, you know, a few more games need to pass by, but my God, they just look like a normal basketball team. I I don't know if you've watched the two games against the Timberwolves and the Knicks, but that's like the striking thing to me. And it's probably the most basic fucking thing because the Sixers have been anything but basic and normal for the last five years is that this team just makes sense all of a sudden. Like, Harden automatically adds quick decision-making and quick passing that the Sixers have never had, even with Ben Simmons as great of a passer as he is. And that's the other thing, too. There's, like, Ben. we all know Ben Simmons is a great playmaker and passer, right? Like, Harden, Harden's passing is, like, in a different class, like, separate from Simmons like and that passing is just permeated throughout this team so far Joel Embiid I'm not the only one cheesing Joel Embiid is literally cheesing on the court because he has so much space the first game against the Timberwolves the first few possessions Embiid bobbled the ball because he had no idea he would be that wide open when he would get past passes in open space because teams are focused on a different part of the team other than Embiid I, I just I don't even know where to start. Like it's the that's but that's the one thing that sticks out to me, Chris, is that the the Sixers can do the most basic shit on offense now. Yeah. Like the pick and roll. And people made a big deal about him being not being a roller, not being a roller. He's more of a pop guy. Well, people have failed one, people have just willingly deleted all their memories of the Jimmy Butler pick and rolls Embiid would run with Jimmy when he was in Philly. But also the difference with that is Jimmy never really shot off the dribble in a way Harden does or in a way or score in a way off the dribble in a way Harden does. And you just Embiid has never played with a player like that that can navigate off of screens like that. So Embiid has never had a chance to explore that part of his game as a roll man because there's different styles of rollers, and Embiid can just slow slow roll into his spots. Scary part is like make the mid range. Not to cut you off here, like to to, the scary part is like this game too. Like they're gonna get better at this, like. I, I literally had to cut up. I'm cutting up film right now because I'm going to do a video. I'm going to do it my own amateur version of film breakdown on how the Embiid Harden two-man game has looked so far. And I've already cut up like seven minutes of clips. And there have been some possessions where they clearly just weren't on the same page just because they weren't familiar with each other. Like, this shit is going to be scary. And there were people who watched us trade away a player 
who hasn't played a single minute of fucking basketball, trade away a backup center, Andre Drummond, who I thought was really good for Embiid, but he's on a minimum. He wasn't going to be on the team next year. The point of that contract like Andre was... Jordan. We're waiving him today. Yeah, I hope... Well, I know Doc Rivers is going to give his old buddy a call, but I hope DeAndre Jordan doesn't join the team after, because uh, we have, you know, we've watched him play basketball for the last three and a half years, four well, years. We're waving him today, so you guys can have him. <clears throat> no thanks. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but we also traded away Seth Curry, who's a good offensive player. He's turned himself into a good offensive player, but at the end of the day, he's going to be a high-end bench player because he could get played off the floor in a playoff series. Kevin Herter cooked his ass in Game 7. People watched us trade away that to get James fucking Harden and have the audacity to say the Sixers got fleeced in the trade. If that's a fleece, you could come over to my house right now, Chris, and just rob me. <laughs> like, and fleece Either. me all the time then. Like, if that's that... Dirty. If that... <laughs> if that is a fleece, then fleece me all the fucking time in any type of trade that I do. Because we got James fucking Harden, and this team all of a sudden makes a lot more sense. No, I, I 100% agree with you. It's it's looked insanely scary. I think the the free throw rate alone is... <laughs> they took 37 free throws yesterday, dude. The game was two hours and 45 minutes. It's just a lot of free throws. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, like, okay, yeah, there were probably two or three thousand there that uh, Harden and Embiid definitely grifted, Embiid especially. But, like, all of those were legit fouls because you don't want Embiid in front of the rim one-on-one -on -one or, like, sealed off or, like, three guys focusing on Harden and all of a sudden you got a rolling Embiid going to the basket. Like, you have to foul him. And that's yeah. the other thing. I just can't. I, it's going to be nasty behavior for me having to defend all these free throws that are going to happen. And, oh, I'm, and I'm willing to do it. But You're going to get like 50 a game. In the playoffs, you're going to get like 50 a game. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And teams are just going to be sick of it. And I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait to just def blindly and blatantly defend that shit. <laughs> like, and the thing is, Embiid goes to the bench. But guess what? We can outscore the team. We can still outscore whatever lineup the opposing team has on the floor because we got James fucking Harden. And we're like plus what, however many with Embiid off the floor, which has literally been unheard of in Philadelphia. Chris, literally these last these two games so far of the Harden and Embiid era, and I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this, Embiid has legitimately gotten some of the easiest baskets I have ever seen in my time watching him. I have watched him since his freshman year at Kansas, and as the season went along that year, it became quickly apparent that Embiid should be the number one pick in the draft to me. I have watched him. I have watched 95% of his minutes in his entire college and pro basketball career. Those were some of the easiest baskets Embiid has gotten in his career. And it's game two. This duo yeah. is scary. If people say they can't fit together, what? Like, I understand there's some concerns, like different parts of their game you want to see them try to do that they haven't necessarily done before, like Embiid rolling more, like Harden playing off ball more. But, like, it's not like they're incapable of doing it. They're great players. They're, they figure they're obviously, it out. They're obviously an easier fit than Ben Simmons, which is, like, I don't understand. Because he could shoot. 
That's yeah. the, that it, is literally the crux of it. And I guess it takes you watching James Harden with Embiid to kind of just say that. But like, I I have always contended that the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid fit was fine, but it was in, but it was not perfect because it depended on one equation, and that was Ben Simmons developing his ability to score off the dribble. And that just never came to fruition. And so now Embiid, which it, the second thing that's wild is that Embiid is running pick and roll and two man game with the team's second best player and not trying to stagger their minutes in an extreme way or kind of run this weird snug pick and roll where Embiid tried to set a pick for Ben at the low block, like five feet away from the rim, but it would never fucking work because teams can just switch that easily. Like, Embiid can set a high ball screen for a guy like James Harden, James Harden, and come off, and the two guys that are defending the pick and roll have to worry about two of the most dynamic offensive forces in the NBA coming right at you. And the best part is guys like Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibel, who are just athletes and can run the floor, they finally get to fill the lanes and run the floor now because you have somebody like Harden who could just automatically always has his eyes ahead and can look ahead and pass. I saw a tweet from uh, one of my favorite Sixer podcasts, the co-host, uh, my, his name is Mike Levin. He tweeted, um, <laughs> the Sixers became a great transition team just by adding a player that takes less than a calendar year to make a pass. <laughs> oh my God. And it's so true. I'm just, I'm over the moon right now. And it's game two. That offense is going to be so dynamic I'm so excited for Tyrese Maxey's growth, where if you remember last podcast, I said I actually like the fit with Maxey next to Harden. He's going to work well off of him. And, yeah, I, I agree with that. And Matisse Thibel, nobody's going to guard him. But guess what? The Sixers have a guy where you can literally pick any player on the Sixers and have them set a screen for Harden. So Matisse Thibel, a few times yesterday, set a pick for Harden and obviously – Thibel is being guarded by the weakest defender. Thibel would come up and set the screen, and it's an automatic double team. Harden is going to get doubled automatically, so Harden would find Matisse Thibel under the basket, or Matisse Thibel would set the screen, and then Joel Embiid would set a second screen, and then the defense is really fucked up, and Matisse Thibel finds a dunk under the rim. Like, the starting lineup just makes so much more sense now. Matisse Thibel should definitely stay in the lineup. The Sixers have some depth issues, I think, but yeah, in terms need, of they need an extra punch off the bench. Yeah, they need. I mean, Paul Millsap. I just, I, I wish Doc would give some of the young guys a chance, but that's just never going to happen with Doc. But at least, and I will give Doc Rivers credit. He's stagger. He's finally staggering the best offensive players, and he's actually doing the right pairings that I wanted. So he's doing Maxi and Bead, and um, Harden and Harris. And uh, that's just kept the that's just kept the offensive train rolling and these first two games. And I can't wait to see how it develops as the season goes on. I'm excited, Chris. I'm ready to say some reckless things. <laughs> oh, you are you ready to say NBA Finals favorites? The Philadelphia oh, they're absolutely they're absolutely in the conversation. I'm like three games away from picking them to making the finals. <laughs> I'm dead serious. The East is wide open. I don't know why people keep giving Brooklyn the benefit of the doubt and the benefit of the doubt and the benefit of the doubt. Well, it's it's seventy percent of the season's over. I mean, like, the the Ben a fit of the doubt has already. Ah, uh, 
Ah, <laughs> nice. God, maybe that's the episode title, Benefit of the Doubt. The ben- that's, such a, that's such a good episode title. All right, I'll make note <laughs> of that. I'll put that in the I'll put that in the podcast title. But uh anyway, uh who else? The Miami Heat. They they are probably they're really good obviously. They're a con- they're in the contender tier. I still like the Bucks even though they've been struggling. Um and as far as Chicago, we talked about them last episode. Like, I feel like they need one more guy or maybe, you know. They need guys back. They need guys back. But I still think at full straight, they need, like, one more guy for me personally. But they could probably make it to the conference finals. Like, there's still some teams out there, but the East is wide open. And the Sixers have two of the top 15 to 10 players in the league. Like, I like my chances. Yeah, it. Y- it's certainly this trade shakes up quite shook up quite a bit as we knew as we knew it would. I didn't expect it to happen this quickly because they because <laughs> nope. I even even in your in your Sixers optimism, I don't think you even thought it would happen this quickly in terms of how good they look. I'm not surprised it happened this quickly though. Like you know my long history or my long no, history I know it, I like you I know I'm a hard man like, like yeah. I understand, like, you thought it's going to work. Like, they look terrifying now. Yeah. And it's been two games. Like, it doesn't... I didn't expect it to happen this fast, but I'm not surprised. Like, if you had told me... Oh, it doesn't surprise me, but, like, I'm I'm not... I'm going, wow, this came together very quickly. It did. It's been... I think maybe... Yeah, it's... It has been overwhelming. It's been overwhelming watching these two games because there's just so much stuff that there's just so much normal stuff this team did these last two games that we just haven't really seen like the Sixers have threats from every spot on the floor now like think about that the primary ball handler for the Sixers is a threat to score anywhere on the floor off the dribble whenever he wants to and now you're mixing it in with a guy who requires a double team like it's mandatory you double team Joel Embiid sometimes you have to a lot of times people are sending three guys at him and then you're having to also double a guy like James fucking Harden like come on man like the the deep I've noted I know it's Minnesota and the New York Knicks but those defenses in in the games that I've seen have like bent in a way that they just haven't bent to the Sixers in a long time. Like Joel Embiid even said post game after the Knicks game, like I'm glad I don't have to post up every single possession anymore because Harden yeah. can kind of just do it himself. And then well, Maxi can attack the, with speed off the catch. The biggest thing. And I know there was like a lot of talk about like wasting a season of Embiid's prime and all that stuff. I mean, to me, it's more, it's less about wasting a season of Joel's prime. And it's, it was more about like multiple years. Yeah. Like saving his, saving his legs a little like because multiple it's a lot it was about multiple years because if you had saddled him with role players you would still be doing the same thing that you tried to prevent or the same thing that you're complaining about which is not you specifically but those people who would complain about wasting Embiid's prime if you had saddled him with role players you're doing the exact same thing you were trying to prevent you're just doing it for multiple years now yes which, but again, like you're still shortening his lifespan, you're his basketball lifespan, so to speak, right? Yeah, and now with getting a guy, now with waiting and getting a guy like James Harden, this guy has given Embiid some of the easiest fucking looks of his career. 
Chris, there is a possession in the Minnesota game, and I promise we will move on to a different topic, but just <laughs> let me cook for a second. For more, even though it's been more than a second <laughs> already. Oh, I'm enjoying this. Continue. In the Minnesota game, the Sixers for the last five years have historically struggled with zone and has just been a bugaboo for the Sixers through Brett Brown and through Doc Rivers. It's just, they one, they don't have the quick decision makers on the team, aside from Ben. But again, Ben doesn't score, so teams can just sag off of him and, and can play zone. The Sixers, So those two things have made it really bad for the Sixers against zone. Like, those are the two things that have made the Sixers struggle so much against zone, right? In the Minnesota game, there is two possessions where the Timberwolves win zone. Joel Embiid flashed middle like he usually does, but except this time, the the minute Embiid flashed to the middle of the zone, the ball immediately found him. It was like, oh shit, I have never seen this before. It usually takes the team like 10 seconds to find Embiid in the middle of the freaking zone. James Harden just whipped a bounce pass through the middle of the zone, and Embiid turned around and had an easy 14-foot jump shot. The it's, other, it's, it's weird how like, like, like when you are a kid and you play basketball as a kid, you are taught how to attack a zone. Yes, it's not like this is like it's not like this is like news, right? Yes, or no, it's not news. You're right, but it's like it's not like this is a difficult thing, but they've made it such a difficult thing. <laughs> yes, and it's because they've had a player who just refuses to do one of the three most important things in basketball, and that's really like ninety five percent of the issue with this. Like, now that Harden's a threat, he could just, he's, there's like, it really is tough to find a historical comp for Harden. I always thought the Kobe comparisons of him being a better scorer than Kobe, I never went that far. I think that's stupid, obviously. But like, Harden is one of the greatest scorers of all time, but he's also one of the greatest passers of all time. And usually great scorers are like, they're good playmakers or they're willing playmakers, but would rather take the shot themselves or whatever. Like Harden is legitimately an elite scorer and an elite playmaker. And there just hasn't been a historical comp for that. Unless you go back to like Oscar Robinson or like Jerry West or somebody like that guys who were just could score the basketball, but also get their teammates involved in a way that was contagious. And Harden is one of those guys. And this guy is on the Sixers and has had a profound this is simple basketball sometimes out there. And I'm just like, Oh my God. With Harden's home debut on Wednesday is going to be, it's going to be so lit. I can't wait. One of my favorite players is a 76er. And yes, I'm a Harden fan. I can live with the free throws. And also, in, at the same time, enjoy the step-back three, which is so innovative. The fact that he's a left-handed dominant player, and I love left-handed players. And he's also one of the greatest passers ever. Like, it's this is great. I'm cheesing right now. You're so excited. I can hear I it. Am. You're so excited. <clears throat> I'm, just, so, yeah, I, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm, over I'm excited the moon. for you. I'm excited for you. I'm I, glad. Dude. Sorry, one more thing. <laughs> so there were back-to-back plays where Harden dimed up and beat for dunks. And I swear I levitated off the ground. I jumped off the couch in excitement. And then I looked down and the couch was 15 feet below me because I was fucking levitating after those plays. <laughs> I just, I've never seen anything like it. It's just, it. I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I could not be more excited for you. And like, I, I've seen, I've, I've seen you tweet about it and go through, go through the, the range of emotions here of like the surprise and the excitement, and like all, all of it. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm so curious of where this heads out. But yeah, it's, it's to me the biggest thing was how fast this happened or how fast it came together. Yeah. In a way that like, you, you just don't expect. It's, it's crazy. And uh, I'm not going to go, like, say, like, it's the next Kobe and Shaq or Wilt and Kareem or uh, Magic and Kareem like Perk did. But this is this is a another great duo in just in terms of the outline of it as a shooting guard and a, a guard, a great guard, just regardless of position, point or shooting and a great big man. And this is going to be fun to, de- to watch develop over the next few years. Um uh, Another thing, uh, Tobias Harris, I probably would venture to guess is this is his last season in Philadelphia. I just think he's going to be the odd he's man. Just a weird, he's just a weird fit now. Like he's a luxury as a fourth option, right? But like his game is one. I I'm starting to believe that his shooting from his LA Clippers days, his three point shooting, isn't going to come back. I just think he's a guy who prefers to get in rhythm by dribbling and posting up, getting to his mid-range area, taking a couple of dribbles before he takes a three. And that just, with Harden there and Embiid there, and Maxi to me, should clearly be the third guy on the team that should be getting the lion's share of offensive touches. I Just Tobias's skill set just really doesn't fit with being a fourth option. He'll do those things, and I think he'll definitely benefit from this team. But I just think... I just can't imagine he's enjoying this right now. And no, I and just, so I just figure he's going to be gone next summer. This this popped into my head of like a what if scenario, and I think it's one that works for both teams. And hit 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 me with this, right? Go go with me on this. Okay, I it, it's a little bit of a stretch, but like the contracts kind of work out, and it makes sense from a just team perspective of what both teams want to try to do. Would it make sense to flip Tobias Harris? For like a Davis Bertans. Um. Well, it gives, you, would have it to, gives, you would have to put in more contracts because Tobias literally makes like nearly forty yeah. million, and Davis yeah, yeah, Bertans but, is like eighteen mil. Like it's not even. You have to put in some more players. Yeah, but you put in you put in like a filler. But like I'm saying, in terms of like the core of a trade, like that is the core of the trade. Um. Because you would get, it would give it would give Luca another guy that that can do a little more. Um, I w- I would of say the role. I would say no because at least with Tobias, he could do other things besides Bertans. Bertans one the last two years has been horrible, but also if he doesn't shoot well from three, he literally can't do anything yeah. else. So, but I, I mean that's kind I, of what you need. Like when you when you have your superstar duo doing pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll in the center you kind of do want like the stand over there in the corner and shoot four yeah yeah i mean i get i get why you would say that theoretically like, uh, I'm, again the skill, i'm, I'm the just saying set, on paper on yeah, paper, on paper the skill about set it like i'm like this make, yeah it's fine on paper the skill set better. would make sense um, and you're saving you're saving money on contract that you can spend elsewhere yeah so that's like fa- Bert- that's very i was true. like Bertens is, is a guy that like you I could see benefiting, like being a huge benefit for the Sixers. Just like, yeah, go stand in the corner, 
and then like rebound on defense. That's it. Conceptually, I get what you're saying. I just, I, I still wouldn't, I still wouldn't do it personally. But I, 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 yeah, it's a, it's in, it's interesting because um, that type of art type archetype is some is a player that i would look for but i would also just look for somebody who does a little bit more on the defensive end and tobias at least brings that and i mean like i the the ideal guy to me and i probably look at somebody like harrison barnes or somebody like that like harrison Barnes, but even then like i i feel like it's the it's the anthony davis thing of like you want another kind of bigger body to help mb bang down low on defense yeah, someone that's easier so to switch. Harrison like, Barnes like, and Bertons make the same amount yearly salary. Yeah. I would probably try to pivot towards Harrison Barnes or somebody like that, um, personally. But uh, sure. but like so to me, like if you grab someone, even back going back to Dallas, right? Dallas would never get rid of him because he's doing too much for them. But like a Maxi Kleba, right? Where you're like, okay, like he's a bigger body, he can guard you know most forward centers yep and he can decently. shoot and he's a and he very shoot, versatile right? defender yeah right like you're looking for that kind of guy yeah well, I, I would don't, like i, I would take I, yeah i would take Cleveland like a harrison sure. Barnes. the reason the reason why i would like say bertans over harrison Barnes is defensively the size like you just want more size right where i don't know if harrison barnes is able to i wouldn't trust him to play the four i would trust i would want him to play the three Harrison Barnes like, can legit. He's played small ball four the last like three seasons. Yeah, he's good I, at but, it. I would I would trust him as small ball four more than Bertans personally. Uh, I again I just because he's just, more athletic and he he's yeah. shown to have a history of banging with you know bigger guys. Like the Warriors death lineup was because you know Harrison Barnes and Iguodala can and, and Draymond Green can yeah. switch through all those bigs like. Barnes is a don't sleep on Harrison Barnes. He's a good. He's oh, I a, like Harrison Barnes. He's a sol- I, I've he's always a liked Harrison Barnes. Um, but I get what you're saying. Like the archetype of a big that could shoot threes. I would. I would just that would be killer for this team right now for sure. Um, I just I'm looking for an an athletic, rangy Harrison Barnes type of player more so than a Bertans type because. Barnes, he can still shoot. He can also attack a little bit. And that's the other thing, too. I don't want, like, like in Houston where Harden just had a bunch of Daniel houses, you know? Yeah. And guys who would just stand around. And then when Harden would hot potato the ball, they would basically – the only option was to chuck up a contested three. Well, like, Harden, the last two games, there's been a few possessions where he's hot potatoed it to Maxi, And by the time Maxi catches it, he's already gone. Like, he's already – darting towards the rim attacking it and those are the type of that's the type of play like like Harrison Barnes is a low usage rate guy that could actually play that role as opposed to the Tobias Harris playing trying to morph into that role or shrink down his usage you know what I mean yeah no I totally I totally what you're saying from it to me it's a in my head I'm picturing like the early 2000s Spurs rotation of European guys that they just put around Duncan yeah yeah, right. Like yeah, that's just no, what I'm Bertons, in my head. Uh Bertons is definitely like he's not on like he's not he's not like a far off thing. Like I, I see where you were coming from with Bertons. I would probably look for that skill set but with a little more ranginess and athleticism, which is where I would take somebody like uh Barnes or it's never gonna happen, but Andrew Wiggins if he like became available for some weird reason, like I guess Daryl Morey's going to send Tobias to OKC. I already know he's going to put in a first round pick. 
<laughs> or something like Preston's gonna, gonna be, be yeah Preston's gonna be, like, gonna be oh. like pay the tax and Maury will be like oh, fuck it fine <laughs> just to have OKC take on Tobias's hefty contract and then Maury will probably work some more magic and fill the roster out man I don't know what Pre- Presty <laughs> Presty's I don't I don't know what it is I think I know he's doing such a great job of like building the team the team is like somewhat competitive I still like a lot of their young players. I would, Trey uh, Mann's been looking good the last month. Too. Yeah, like I just I I like him. I like what they're setting up. I just to me it's a thing of it's the fear, it's the Danny Ainge fear of like yo you got to pull a trigger on like some of these soon. <laughs> yeah, that's true because you can't roster, <laughs> you can't field a roster of thirty seven players. <laughs> yeah, and the, again, that's the thing of like draft picks lose their value as soon as draft night happens. Like the closer you get to draft yeah. day, they lose their value. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you as soon as those balls are picked, like, as soon as those balls drop, as soon as you know the order, like, those those picks go down the toilet. So you really got to know <laughs> what's going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, not you just start gonna flipping. let you slip past that pun you did, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start. Uh, you got to start flipping down. You got to start. You know, flipping these soon because again, like they have a solid base. Like I like. I love SGA. I love Lou Dort. Josh, like Josh Giddy is gonna be first team all rookie yeah. for sure. Like he's a lock. And again, as good as as good as OKC is at drafting, like I don't know if it's worth rolling the dice on that on you know their stellar scouting department or if it's just worth like hey let's just flip three of three or four of these for like a guy yeah right um okc is definitely gonna have to do some consolidate it's like uh well consolidation um it feels like kind of like what atlanta did they had to like consolidate trade away yeah. cam reddish they're probably gonna have to make one more move or two with bogdanovich or bog yeah no bogdanovich Bogey. And yeah. then a Gallinari, um, just because you can, you can. There is such a thing as drafting too well, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. So, you got to pay all these guys. I think yeah, the Suns exactly. are going to run into that soon. Yeah, exactly. And that's what makes uh drafting so tricky, and why like OKC is eventually going to have to figure out. Okay, can do we have like the guy like SGA? I don't know if he's like. A, I think he's the second guy. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be a bona fide, like, top 10 player or an MVP caliber level player, right? Um, yeah, I would. I, if you take any superstar and you put SGA next to them, I think I think it's perfect. Oh, yeah, it'd be, yeah. Like, whenever the Ben Simmons stuff was, like, really at its height and a bunch of teams were getting thrown out there and a bunch of young players were getting thrown out there because that was part of Maury's, like, requirements – of even entertaining a Ben Simmons trade, SGA was somebody that was thrown in there. And I was like, oh, shit, SGA would be fucking great next to Embiid. I love SGA. He's a funky He's a funky shot creator, can score from anywhere on the floor, even though his three-point percentage is kind of low this year. Um, guys, he's like, super unorthodox. Like, he's I love super unorthodox. Yeah, I, unorthodox and unique players are always a good thing to me in basketball because they just see the game differently and – you know, opponents just aren't used to playing against unique players like that. So I like, you know, I gravitate, well, I gravitate towards all types of players, but that's why I've always been high on Lonzo Ball, as you have. He's just mm-hmm. a super unique player. That's why I love Draymond Green. Like, Draymond Green is one of the un- most unique players I've ever seen. Um, even somebody like Joel Embiid, who is, even the top name players, obviously, they're super unique in their own way. Like, Harden was never, like, 
well, Harden was a lottery pick, but nobody expected James Harden to be this good. Like, he had to work his way to be an MVP level player and a Hall of Famer. Like, it, yeah, yeah. Like, eventually, OKC is going to have, they're going to have to find the guy eventually. But the thing is, they have all the time in the world because they have all the picks and flexibility. They can also just keep taking on contracts and collecting more picks because that's what they're going to be for the next few years. So, I mean, yeah. maybe they'll be in the Victor Winyamas. I think that's his name. Um, Winyamas sweepstakes. Get a I mean, U- there's a chance that they just win the Chet Holmgren award here, and then they that have to is ramp also up. true. I need to I need to start doing my uh, college basketball homework. I need to start catching up on some of these top prospects. Um, it's basically it's it's come down to Chet Holmgren versus Jabari Smith. Yeah, that's what that's who I. Yeah, that. Yeah, it sounds like Paul uh, uh, Banchero has fell off the map a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's going to be between Holmgren and Jabari Smith. Um, I still, I still like. Oh, uh, 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 Woj just tweeted, "The Sixers have been in the market for backup center and will be aggressive in pursuit of DeAndre Jordan." Yeah, that that does not surprise me in the least. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I would play him over. I would play him over, you know, Paul Millsap or Willie Cully Stein, who we signed to a ten day. But DeAndre Jordan is washed. He should not be in a playoff rotation. Um, and you know, hopefully Doc's rotation is shortened to the point where, oh, who am I kidding? Doc's probably going to play an all bench lineup or some shit. <laughs> um all bench lineup should be a thing of the past by the way doc couldn't help himself in the minnesota game he was he staggered the minutes and all that stuff he did everything right for the first two and a half quarters and then the last minute of the quarter he went with his all bench lineup and the wolves went on a 10-0 run and it's just like never change doc never change yeah (laughs) um uh, i don't know man i i'm we didn't bring this up last week and I, cause it wasn't like super important, but man, I'm shocked. Absolutely shocked that doc rivers made that list of top coaches of like top 15 coaches of all time. I mean, I'm not, are you really shocked? Because like, I'm not shocked, but like he shouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah. Like Rudy Tomjanovich, like Rudy T like a few other coaches should be doc is one of the most overrated coaches. Oh, I think we've I think we've talked about this many times. I think we agree. It's, oh yes, and we're gonna relitigate it again, probably for the next just, future episodes. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I, it doesn't surprise me because everyone's on Doc's dick for some reason. But like, man, I I don't get it. Look, it part doesn't... of look part of I will uh, to play devil's advocate for Doc. Um, part of coaching is also managing egos, and like, think about has, it. They'll... And he has. I know that he's had some turbulent locker rooms with like, I mean, with Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, that's just, that's a lot of personality, but sure. players respect Doc and he brings the best out of players, especially the first few years he's coaching there. I mean, it, the, <clears> the thing is like the first few years he coaches players, it always works out, but that always works out. Like it's always over time. Like how do you sustain over time? Right? Like think about it. every, every coaching job that he's had, at first goes really well, right? The marriage goes for like think of Celtics, right? Goes really well. Well, he's been then, with the Celtics for a long time. That Celtics run last lasted. No, like, but then like then it breaks down, right? Like then okay, everyone wants to get trade, everyone wants to move, or whatever it breaks down. All right, and then you go to the I don't Clippers. necessarily blame him for the Celtics. The Clippers, I sure. 
Yeah. Clip Clippers. Okay, it breaks down. You know, a bunch of players don't like each other. One leads. Yeah, and then, but not only that, not only that, but with like different rosters. Like it happened mm-hmm. with the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin ones. It happened with the Kawhi, Paul George ones. Like it, at a certain point, you have to go like, what is the con- what is the consistent factor here? He is a he is a good coach who is massively overrated. He is not yes. one of the. 15 greatest coaches ever in my no, opinion. No, I don't not. understand. He's he's not and um he's a he's a good coach who chokes a lot in the playoffs. He's choked away the most 3-1 series leads by a head coach out of any coach in NBA history. He's a plan A type of guy who's a great planner. He's a great plan A type of person. He he's a bad adjustment well, guy. But he's a bad adjustment guy. He does the same fucking mistakes over and over again. And not only that, like, he has a propensity to deflect and not take full responsibility or full accountability of his playoff shortcomings. Yes. And... As much as I, but as much as I, we do joke about he's running on off of fumes from that 08 title. That Boston Celtics run was really amazing, and he, that is also where the ego, the part where he's able to manage egos comes in. He was able to get Garnett, Pierce, Allen, and Rajon fucking Rondo to coexist together. Kendrick Perkins, Tony Allen, like those are some unique and competitive personalities on that team, right? And he was able to do that with the Clippers, too. So I will give him his credit. Players do respect the hell out of him. Players want to play for Doc. And he brings instant credibility. But if you're talking about actual X's and O's, adjustments, um, playoff records, it gets a little overrated. And, you know, you put and a little, uh, a little not fraudulent, but, you know, if you maybe uh, what's the he's the he his playoff record is not diamonds it's a kind of cuban sicornia (laughs) (laughs) you like Uh, that one yeah i I do like that one uh (laughs) i don't know where to go from there uh (laughs) oh so i I did have this kind of fun thing because so watching. oh okay what do you you want to talk about no, 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 go for it. This is like more of a fun topic. Go for it. Okay, well, uh, we should talk about because I thought this was interesting. Um, Bill Simmons on the Ryan Rossillo con. Uh, Bill Simmons with Ryan Rossillo on the Bill Simmons podcast um, said that he had some good intel that the NBA is going to expand eventually to Seattle and Las Vegas in the sounds like in the near future. That's what he made it sound like at least, but he sure. said he has some good Intel on it. And you was know, the rumor he was coming here, out of the pandemic. What's up? That was the rumor coming out of the pandemic. Well, it seems like this is like the first, like, you know, it's going to happen, not it's going to happen, but you know, it's the wheels are definitely churning yeah. now. Like the engine has started to, sure. you know, getting some people to whatever powers may be, however it all works, the NBA is going to expand by two more teams. So uh, Bill Simmons has been doing a lot of quote unquote reporting the last two podcasts because he talked about the Harden trade and how that went down ad nauseum because he apparently had good intel on that. And now Bill's coming out with this. So what were your initial thoughts? So it's something that I really liked the idea of when, uh, it was first pitched because again, Bill had been talking. Bill and Ryan had been talking about it during the pandemic, because and during the bubble, because mm-hmm. it's 
the way that it's described, and I don't know if have you really do- dove into the people that like the the financials of this? No, not really. No, not, it's the not easiest. As much as I should. It's the easiest way for a league to circumvent and like have a large, um, like boom of income. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah, the easiest. Course. It's like the it's like the easiest way of like, um, like surging back all of your income, right? Because it's two new cities. It's that ownership group coming in with new money. The NBA is like, a hot commodity a, too. Yeah, it's a new fan a base. Yeah, a hundred percent. And right now, honestly, we talked about last week of like the depth of talent coming into the league and the depth of talent that's in the league right now. And like, look, now's the perfect time if we're going to do that in terms of the talent level coming in to go ahead and expand the league. Um, and like, look, I don't think you could pick two better cities than Seattle and um, Vegas. Mm-hmm. I think those are the two perfect cities to put them in. Absolutely. Um, you know, just given the way that the Raiders have been, in, you know, embraced in in Vegas, uh, they built that. They have that new T-Mobile Arena that's beautiful. I don't know if you you've stopped by, take a look. The Vegas Knights too. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, you said the Aces, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Aces too. They just got Becky Hammond over there to yeah. coach that team. That team's gonna be so, fun, I mean, by the way, low key. Yeah, you know, like Vegas is putting a lot of infrastructure and in, like you know trying to expand into the sports market, and I think like this is this next step, right? Oh yeah, the NBA. So it makes it this is sense. a cash boon the NBA cannot ignore. Yeah. So look, I like, I like, I like it. I think that again, in terms of every time there's an expansion, there's always a concern of like talent stretching. There's um, so but again, much talent. Though. There's so much talent in the league, I think and there's so much coming in. Honestly. Yeah, that's again the thing of when we're talking about last week about MVP candidates, right? And we could go down the list of like six or seven people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just at the top end, right? Yep. Uh, so, you know, I think it's like, fine. even if you look at like, I think look at the, the Pistons and magic, like that was the other thing, like Bill and Ryan were talking about it on the podcast. Like, just look at other teams, like the Pistons and the magic, they have their young draft picks. Right. But then like, they have NBA players like Jeremy Grant, Kelly Olenek, mm-hmm. the Pistons have Sadiq also have Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, Cade Cunningham. Um, the magic have all also, that. Can have I just say Cade Cunningham is a dude. He figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Cade Cunningham's that dude. <laughs> he figured it out he pretty figured, quickly he after figured it out. Once it became apparent that his ankle wasn't bothering him anymore, it was just he took off. He, yeah, he's, he's he's everything that we he's thought really he was good, be. man. He's really um, good. And also, I do want to. I can't I, wait I to see Bagley revive, have his career revived next to Cade. I still have my Bagley stock. So, I you brought up the magic. I what what did the magic do? They are overflowing with point guards. What do you do? If you're the Orlando Magic, I don't know. Are they overflowing with point guards? I mean, they have. They have, right now they have Fultz coming back. They have Jalen Suggs. Yeah, Fultz came have, back tonight. They have Cole Anthony, tonight. who I I don't know if you believe he's a shooting guard or a one or two. I think he's a one. I think he's a one. I think he's a one for sure. So like now, so that those those are three young ish prospects. But Fultz, you gave big money to, or you already gave a contract to. So like you know what? Where do you? Do you move off one? Do you trade one? What's the highest trade value? Obviously, you're not getting rid of Suggs. Oh, so yeah. So what do you do? So, so you if know. I was the GM of the Magic, I would be, for the foreseeable future, I would be rolling with Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, um, Wendell Carter, Franz Wagner, and Mo Bamba. And then Jonathan yeah. Isaac, when he, Jonathan when he comes Isaac, back from the hospital. Jonathan Isaac, Chumo Kiki, 
Markel Fultz for a little bit, but I would probably, he would be the first to trade, I would think. I would just, I think that lineup, that lineup at the beginning of the season, Anthony Suggs, uh, Wagner, um, Wendell Carter, Mo Bamba, even though Mo Bamba's more confident this year shooting the three, he still isn't shooting particularly at league average. I think that lineup is just that lineup showed to be so interesting and funky. They have like really interesting flashes of just being a good defensive team with some really good passing between because people Cole Anthony's a good passer. Like he's a score first guard, but like he's He's averaging like seven. He's like averaging seven assists a game. He's an underrated passer. Suggs is a all Suggs is also a really good passer. He's a ball mover. He is going to take spot up threes as well. He's athletic. I think he's going to round out to more of the Drew Holiday archetype where he's just a really good two-way guard that can really guard somebody and then also get you like 15, five, and like four assists or whatever, right? Franz Mm -hmm. Wagner, his on-ball chops this year have really surprised me. Like I told you, man, I love that dude. When, I was very high on him. When the Magic, when the Magic had all those injuries at the beginning of the season, Cole Anthony went down, Jalen Suggs went down with that fractured thumb, and they gave the ball to Wagner and let him cook. He showed some really awesome flashes as like a guy who could pass on the move, can get to the rack a little bit, can shoot a little bit as well. Like I wanted he was, him on OK. I wanted him on the Warriors so bad. I thought that would have been the perfect pick for that. Like draft nerds so projected him to be like, oh, he's going to be a starter on a championship team, winning player. Me and you know what that means it's like oh he yeah. can make passes he can attack a close out <laughs> i don't know about that there i mean there's more there's more there's more stereotypes that fall under the you can make the blanket he's white category but i think they were more talk <laughs> i think i think they were more talking about like he's like the stereotypical oh you know he can attack a closeout he could pass a little bit you know do yeah, the winning I plays but it's, wagner it's has the, turned out of... I think he might be a star flat out I think he's a second guy. I think it, it fits in the same camp of the SGA thing of like, I like him as a second or third option on a championship team. I don't know if he could ever be a first guy. I don't know if he could be a first, but like he can probably, if he does become like a second or third guy, he can do interesting things that I think a typical second or third guy wouldn't be able to do. He's he's what we want Pokashevsky to be. <laughs> he's what he, he's. When I look at Pogus Jeffy and I go, I wish I wish he was like Franz Wagner. I wish he was as polished as Franz Wagner with the body. That type. is probably the player that Pokashevsky should look at. <laughs> yeah. Because uh he needs to rein it in a little bit. He's been playing well the last few <laughs> weeks though. He had like consistently I'm like, still I'm oh. still on the poker train, man. I still like that guy. Uh I'm uh Okay, so you know, like the metro buses, you have the option to sit down or grab the bar and stand up. Yeah, I'm grabbing the bar. On? I'm grabbing the bar and standing up, and I'm looking to see if there's an available stop if I need to, just in case of emergency. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sit down. I still, I don't know if he's gonna be good or not. I just like watching him play. Yeah, like uh, you know, it's, it's it's the it's the NBA equivalent of boxing. Because I know, like, I know, know in our podcast like, last year we talked about Pokashevsky being an interesting draft prospect and i had him listed as one of my interesting ones um he he definitely has the confidence i'll give him that yeah again (laughs) it's it's a thing it's the thing of it again like it's it's, he's the box of chocolates like you don't know what you're gonna get like game to game he could you could open it up you're like yo he looks good today 
Yeah, like he'll, he'll have good. one possession where he's like, oh, okay, there's the little three off the catch, and then he'll throw some wild-ass pass where you're just like, what the fuck did he see out there? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, Pokashevsky's still interesting. He's only, like, what, 20? 20, 20, yeah, he's young. He's they're really they're young. all super young. They're all super young. Um, but the Magic just have a super interesting young core to be. So, yeah, my point, I think the going all he's the way back Isaac's to the Isaac's still the young core. I think he's 24, 25. At what point do you stop becoming young core? I think the age cutoff would be like 24. That would, be like my, the, that would be my art. <laughs> I've thought about this too. It'd probably be 24, like 25, 26, 27. You're starting you're like to pushing it, right? You're like 25 is pushing it. Like, but when you're 26 to 30, that's like your physical prime to me. That's well, like plus, when like, you're to me, matured you, as a, you, yeah. for the most part, like this is the player you're going to be. Like, obviously, yeah. there's rare examples where, like, okay, they evolve or change or whatever. But, like, DeMar there's... DeRozan's playing the best basketball of his career 100%. as a 32-year-old, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, there's obviously rare examples. But overall, when you're talking about, like, 26, 27, like, that's the player that you're going to be. Yeah. I th- if it, To me, the young core is obviously 24 and under, probably. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Okay. But the point back to all of this, why we brought up the Magic and the Pistons in the first place, the NBA just has a lot of talent. And I think it's they definitely have overflowing talent. Just think about the upcoming draft classes that are coming in. And you could definitely field two more NBA teams. And I think you'd be fine. There wouldn't be the talent dilute, the talent. You wouldn't see a delusion of talent or a diluted version of talent that the NBA has seen in its history when it has expanded, you know? Yeah. I don't have those. I don't have those concerns at all. So. Yep. All right. What was your fun topic? All right. So we'll end the, we'll end the show on this fun topic. So I was watching Steph and the video that was kind of made the rounds yesterday against a typical, like Steph warming up and taking crazy threes or whatever. Oh, I've seen, I know which video you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it went around and kind of made the rounds yesterday. And it's like a typical Steph, like doing crazy shit. Um, and warmups. Um, Player gravity. So I was trying to think of like. So there's when I say this, there's two people that come to mind right away. When I say the player in NBA history with the greatest player gravity. Now, the two names that came to mind right away to me are Steph, obviously, and Shaq. Yeah. And I don't think I think it is a toss up between the two of them, but I don't think anyone else comes close. between those two dudes like uh, i don't i think Michael those jordan. two but see jordan's a weird one because of the way the defense like you couldn't overload defenses back then and the way that zones were played people so it's would a little still different. throw three guys at mj's way like they would find a way that's true i mean so to me it's a thing of Shaq would only be doubled on the block or in the paint but like in the paint he was always in there and it was they were doubling him Oh, on yeah. the block, like before he even got the like, they it was deny, like triple deny. Oh, I yeah, I agree with you. Shaq, Shaq near the rim, like there would be five bodies, literally. There's that yeah, what like, that infamous picture of him dunking on four people, four yeah, nets. Like it's like, absolutely insane. The amount of like the amount of gravity and attention that you pull your way as a player. Like we were talking about gravity and off ball gravity, on ball gravity, and just gravity in general. But Jordan would have people just pulling him all over the place. Like yeah. Steph Steph's gravity, the reason it's 
it's in that upper tier that you mentioned, and I agree it's with you. It's probably so far. It, Steph, you, the minute Steph crosses half court, you have to guard him. Like no ifs, ands, or well, even about before. It. Like they're guarding oh, him yeah. at the, at the <laughs> logo because it's the thing of like. Yeah, you don't want him to true. catch there. It's true because at the end of quarters, you know how players will just do the mundane, like, oh, I'll throw the ball up from 50 feet or whatever. Or yeah, they'll, like hold the, make that. they'll hold the ball after the buzzer and then shoot it. Teams will – I have seen teams, no bullshit, double Steph off the ball from, like, 50 feet away from the basket at the end of quarters because they don't want Steph to get an end-of-quarter heave up. Yeah. And Which is crazy. With Shaq – Shaq would obviously he would attract so much attention near the paint. He was so physically dominant. And then I would the reason I would put Jordan in that tier with them is because Jordan would just be double and tripled wherever he went and he would still just score no matter yeah. what. Um Madman. So those are probably the 3. If you're talking about player gravity and also honestly uh, and up and coming, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Sixer fan, Joel Embiid is starting to go up there too because he's been double and tripled his entire career. Yeah, just, I'm curious what happens now because the reason you were able to double and triple him before was because that's all they had. Like, that's the only offensive weapon. But it you, wasn't you just know. on the post either. Like, there's been, like, uh, the Bucks game two weeks ago, um, There's you could screenshot a few plays where Embiid would have the ball at the foul line he would catch it at the foul line, and there would be three bucks in his vicinity, and he would still shoot right over the top of him and make it. Like, Embiid's starting to get up there with gravity, too. And I'm not just saying yeah. that because I'm a no, homer no, no. and I'm a Sixer fan. No, I, I agree with you. I think my 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 thing with – my only pushback, because I, and I do agree with you, my only pushback would be that, like – Now that Harden's there, let's Now that Harden's off. there, like, yeah, does the gravity stay? Like, do you – can you continue to do that with Embiid? Because the thing was, like, with Shaq and with Steph – and with, um, you, you know, with even Jordan, like the thing was, there's other threats on the floor, and you still mm-hmm. they're, they're, you're still pulling. Like, dude, people would leave Kobe to double and triple team Shaq. Yep. People were leaving. People leave Steph or people leave Clay wide open because they're double and triple teaming Steph. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's a difference here. Where like, if you double or triple team Embiid. Fucking yeah, go ahead, Tyrese Maxey, take the open jumper. Like, go ahead, what, Ben, shoot from. Yeah. you're not gonna shoot actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference in terms of like. Yeah, I will tell you the first. I will tell you the first two games are looking good, and Bead's still getting double and triple teams. Oh yeah, and <laughs> I'm cur- I'm so going back to the first topic. I'm so curious to see how this evolution evolves. But this is yeah. It, sorry, listeners, going. it was a majority Sixer podcast, but your boy's excited and one of the weirdest sagas in NBA history just ended. So it's like that. It's like you just stepped outside after doing a workout in a hot, like building or something. And you step out in fresh air and it's just breeze It's nothing but breeze. That's how I feel. Yeah, right Turn to see as the skies open up. Oh yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm like at the beat. I like, you know, those, the GIF of Nick cage, like um, <laughs> looking up at the sky and the winds blowing and he has a shirt, like the top button in his shirts open and he, the winds just blowing. Yeah, like feeling the wind. That's me right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I have twist. So the twist, my twist are blowing in the wind also. (laughs) You got to love it. All right, bud. So I think that is it for this week. No Lakers talk this week. I don't think we need to. No, I don't think we need to go through that. (laughs) Although I do want to say that uh, real quick, LeBron calling out Bill Orem on in a, in post game was one of the funniest things I've gotten to see. And I'm very sad that he walked it back in his tweet. 
Sorry. And it's very funny because, I, well, I haven't read the full extent of the report yet, but he's a Bill Orm's one of the best Lakers insiders. Like he works for the Athletic. He's covered the Lakers. He's been, but... wrong, he's been wrong about quite a bit though in terms of like Laker coverage. His insider, uh, his insider stuff for. Laker news has been pretty hit or miss, I will but say. But the stuff about, you know, LeBron and Rich Paul and, like, you know, LeBron now is, like, refuting reports that, like, he never – he get about how he, like, his – the extent of his hand in front office decisions. Yeah. That's a – come on. Yeah, like, I mean, there's there's LeBron, two sides to this there is a There's a reason why Russell Westbrook is on the Lakers, and it's yes. because LeBron co-signed that move, wanted that move to happen – and I have no doubt also that LeBron tried to get Westbrook traded to get John Wall. Like, that's what's out there. And, I mean, LeBron and Clutch have been known to apply pressure, you know? So, yeah, the common I, thing. Yeah. And yeah, it was just funny to me that LeBron pushed back on that. I mean, what is he going to say? Obviously, he's not going to say directly that he's in control or whatever. But, like, it's very obvious that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's about the only Lakers talk because uh, – I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to light up the Lakers pack in front of you for twenty oh my more God. minutes. <laughs> there's nothing more to say that hasn't already been said. Yeah, because I'm already I'm already off fumes from the Sixer games. <laughs> the don't yeah, need, they're don't, just... need to, don't need to do a Lakers pack today. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we will jump into that next week if if there is anything to add, but highly doubt it. Um, all right, so we'll talk to you guys next week, and thank you all for watching. The B.O.B. Thank you.